You're listening to audio from Cibolo Creek Community Church. To learn more, visit CibeloCreek.com. So we're going to start a new series today. We're going to start a new series entitled Pay It Forward. And I want to explain to you a little bit about why that's such a unique and important responsibility for us as a church family. Now, you guys are smart people. And you know that generally you come in here for a Sunday morning service, and when I start my message, there's usually like this thing called an introduction. And an introduction is generally two things. You either ask a question or you create some sort of a crisis. It's a way to get your audience engaged. So you raise a question and try to answer that question for the audience throughout the talk. Or you try to create some sort of a tension and everybody leans in and goes, okay, I wonder now how how I'm going to solve this tension in my life or the tension that I'm feeling in by living in society whatever the tension might be. And so that's generally how its its message starts. But today, we're just going to forego all the formalities. We're going to jump right in because I want to do something with you here today. Last week in our message, I briefly mentioned that studying the Bible is a lot like putting together a puzzle. And here's what happens. As you read throughout your Bible, you start seeing these verses or paragraphs that talk to a certain topic but you never find a topic completely exhausted in a single place in the Bible. So you find these verses, these paragraphs, these places in the scriptures where they talk about a certain topic. And what you do is you start collecting those different pieces and then you eventually start fitting them together and an image or a picture comes into focus. So today what I want to do is I want to show you a couple of pieces of a puzzle that we find in the pages of the Bible. Now, I'll just tell you, This is just a few of the pieces. I could literally back up the truck and unload dozens and dozens of pieces that go to this puzzle, but we only have time for just a few. Does that make sense? So here's what we want to do. We want to look at a couple of passages of scripture. This one's from the book of Deuteronomy. Now, those of you who may be new to your Bible, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, they are such important books. They are such an important foundation to not only understanding our Bible, but understanding the work of God in the world. And the the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and and Deuteronomy, they are all foundational to God's relationship with the nation of Israel. And the book of Deuteronomy specifically is a covenant. It's a covenant that God is entering into with the people of the nation of Israel, and he's laying out some of the stipulations, some of the instructions, some of the commands about how they're going to honor the covenant so that then he honors the covenant in return. And so here's something that we read in the book of Deuteronomy. These are the commands, the decrees, and the laws that the Lord your God directed me, the author of the book of Deuteronomy, directed me to teach you to observe in the land, the promised land, this place that God was given the nation of Israel, to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Now notice this. So that you, so that your children, so that their children after them may have a deep respect for the Lord. Fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all of his decrees and commandments that I give you, and so that you may enjoy a long life. Don't miss the promise there. That as we live in obedience to God, the benefit is a life that is prosperous, okay? Another passage of scripture in the same book. Fix these words of mine in your hearts. Like, pay attention to them. These are very important. Fix these words of mine in your hearts, 
and in your minds, tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, the nation of Israel took literal, and they literally do this, and then look at this, teach these words, teach them to your children, talking about them when you're sitting at home, and when you're walking along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. In other words, be talking about the instructions of God all the time with your children. Look at this, Deuteronomy chapter 11 continues. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. Another passage, this comes from the book of Psalms. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable, a story with the truth. I will utter hidden things, things from old, things that have been, things we have heard and known, things that we learned from who? Our ancestor, the generation before us. Passage continues, we will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the the next generation. Like it was told to us by the previous generation, we're gonna share the things of the Lord, the truths about God with the next generation. The praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. Passage continues, he decreed statues for Jacob and he established the law in Israel which he commanded our ancestors to teach to their children so that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. You starting to see the pattern? All right, look at this passage, it continues. Then they would put their trust in God, and they would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. Another psalm, I will exalt you, my God, the king. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day, I will praise you. I will extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Now look at this. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. One generation telling another generation about how awesome God is. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works and I will proclaim your great deeds. Look at this, Proverbs chapter three. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. The whole first nine uh, chapters of the book of Proverbs, everybody should read regularly. My son, so this is a father sitting down with like his teenage son, my son, Don't forget my teaching. Whatever you do, pay attention to what I have to share with you, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years. They'll bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness, these things that I'm teaching you, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them about your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and other human beings. 
Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, this dad is saying to his son. Don't lean on your own understanding, your own intelligence. He said, don't lean only on that in all of your ways. Submit to the Lord and he will make your paths level or straight. Whatever you do, son, don't be wise in your own eyes. Respect the Lord, stay away from evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. The next Proverbs, listen my sons to a father's instructions. Pay attention, gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. For I too was a son to my father, still tender, cherished by my mother. Then he did what? He taught me. And he said to me, take hold of my words with all of your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom. And she, look at the promises, she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get some wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding, cherish her, and she will exalt you, embrace her, and she will honor you. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Most of you, if you've been hanging around church, you've, you've heard this passage, Proverbs 22. Start children off on the way they should go. And even when they get older, they will not turn from it. Look at these very clear instructions in Ephesians chapter six. It's the New Testament. Parents, don't exasperate your children. Don't annoy them and make things so hard that they can't get it. Don't exasperate your children. Instead, here's your responsibility. Bring them up, raise them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Look at this, Paul writes to a, a young man, his name was Timothy, he was a pastor in the first century. And look at what Paul says, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. In other words, Paul admired Timothy's sincere faith, which first lived in your, your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. So Paul, the apostle, he knew Timothy's grandmother and his mother, and they had passed on a way of life to him. And I'm persuaded that what they taught you now lives in you also. And then later in the second letter that Paul writes to Timothy, he, he um, connects again to what he wrote in the first letter. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you've learned what you've become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy his grandmother and his mother had been investing in him since he was just the youngest child. You have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, those are just some of the dozens of verses that help put the picture together of this puzzle. And here's a lesson that we can learn from just looking at those verses. 
in the community of faith, and I'm saying it this way because what we do is we learn that this was true in the nation of Israel. This is also true in the church. So wherever people gather together, whether Old Testament Israel or New Testament church, whenever people gather together around a fair, shared faith in God, in a community of faith, God gave adults the responsibility to pass their faith onto children. Notice that I didn't say the responsibility to pass their faith onto their children. It is the responsibility of a community of faith to take what they believe and know and understand about God and pass it on to children, whether that's their children or not. We have a responsibility. It's one of life's great stewardships. Now, if you're not familiar with the word stewardship, stewardship is the idea that God entrusts something to your care. And what we learn in the pages of the Bible, both Old and New Testament, that one of the stewardships that God has entrusted to our care is the well-being of the next generation. The stewardship of helping them to grow up with a firm, solid understanding of what it means to have faith in God. So listen to this. While this is primarily the responsibility of parents, it is not solely a parent's responsibility. It begins with parents, but it's not only their job. The community of faith sees all children, teens and young adults, as part of the legacy they leave for the future of the gospel, the church of tomorrow. Did you understand that? In a community of faith, we look at children, we look at students, we look at young adults, and all of them are a part of the legacy that we leave for the next generation. There's a phrase, you've probably heard it, it's fairly popular, it takes a village. Now, some of us react to it because a, a fairly prominent politician a number of years ago who has a bit of a, a polarizing effect across the political spectrum, they wrote a book with this title and a lot of people reacted to it takes a village. But the origin of this phrase is beautiful. It's an African proverb. And in the cultures of Africa, they understood that it takes the entire community to shape the life of the next generation. That it's the responsibility of adults, the big people, to deal with the young people in healthy and positive ways if we hope for those young people to grow up to become healthy and positive adults. That's the nature of the proverb. Now, I meet parents from time to time and go, you know what, I, I don't do the it takes a village thing. That's my responsibility. I'll raise my kids. I get that. But you have to be honest about how often the village has a say in the raising of your children. I mean, look at this. This is just a short list. You got parents, but your siblings, your, your, your kids' siblings, they also have an influence on the life of your children. You have relatives, grandparents, aunts and uncles. They have an influence on the life of your children. They're part of the village. 
Child care providers, send your children to daycare, or you bring in babysitters, guess what? They're part of the village. They have an influence in the life of your children. Your children are learning things from your babysitter. It's just the truth. Um, your children have friends. Your children's friends have an influence. I mean, most of the stuff that I was learning as a kid that I shouldn't have been learning, where was I learning from? I was learning from my friends. And guess what? Their friends have siblings. And sometimes your child's only six or seven, eight or nine, but their siblings are 16, 17, 18, and 20. When I was a kid, just a little, little guy, we lived in this um, housing development. It's like all these townhomes stuck together. And back in those days, kids just sort of ran the neighborhood, right? You know, your parents kicked you out in the morning, said, don't come back until the street lights come on, right? So we just ran the neighborhood. So one night, I'm just a little guy. I'm home and my mom's helping me with my bath. And I say to my mom, mom, can I, can I sing for you a song I learned today? And she's like, sure, honey, tell us this song. And so I evidently put on quite a performance and then she immediately left the bathroom, went downstairs to my dad and said, we're moving tomorrow. <laughs> evidently, some of my friend's siblings had taught me a really interesting song. And we moved from the village and I can't remember, but it was within days. We moved to 24 Chestnut Street in Frostburg, Maryland. My mom took me out of there real quickly. Your, friend, your, your kids' friends go over to their friend's house. They interact with friend's siblings. They interact with your friend's parents. Are you absolutely sure of what your kids' friend's parents are modeling and, and saying? Because they're a part of the village. Your children have teachers at school. Not only at school, but they teach your kid piano and they teach your kid baseball and teach your kid uh, dance lessons. They're a part of the village that's helping to raise your children. Coaches, boy, don't underestimate this one. If your kid has a cell phone or a computer, the amount of influence the media is having on the life of your children is extraordinary. Not all of it is good. They're a part of the village. Children, we're sucker for celebrities and sports figures. They're modeling for your children. They're, they're, they're demonstrating for your children. Certain, they're a part of the village. All sorts of influences, authors that your children read and your church. So the question is, what are your children learning from these influences in their life? And it's a really, really important question for us. What are they learning from us as their church? Well, I have an answer. Would you be interested to know what it is? Here's what your children, your three-year-old, your 13-year-old, your 22-year-old, this is what they're learning from all of those influences that I just listed on the screen. They're learning beliefs. They're learning what they believe about themselves and about you as parents 
or the authority of teachers or policemen. They're learning beliefs about God and whether he exists or not and what kind of existence he's going to have in their life. And out of beliefs, this is just inevitable. This is true no matter what age you are. Your beliefs shape your values. It determines what you decide is really important or not. Your children are learning a set of values that they're going to adhere to for the rest of their life and their values will shape their priorities. And we could talk about things like baseball and soccer and volleyball and select sports and when they compete and what sort of beliefs are being established about how important church is on a Sunday and whether we're gonna be there or not. Because that's how that works. And as we develop priorities, the village is also influencing your child's attitude. And eventually, all of that turns into behaviors. That's what the village is teaching our children. So in the family of the church, no parent is ever really done raising children. And I'm not talking about your children. In the family of the church, no parent is ever really done raising children. In a faith community, and listen, this is so important. I want, I want so much for Sybil Creek to get this. In a faith community, once parents release their own children to fly, they then offer their experience as mentors to help other children take flight. Those 18, 20, 23 years that you were actively engaged in parenting your child and then your child flies and starts kind of their life on their own and they got their own apartment or they start their own family or they're headed into their own career. Well, you've got 20 some years of experience about what it means to have an influence in the life of a young person. And God is asking and inviting you to turn and take that experience and now help with the next generation of children. In the family of the church, nobody is ever really without children to raise. I don't care if you're a single adult or maybe you're an adult and you've not been able to have your own children. The family of church, nobody's ever really without children to raise. It does take a village and that village is our church. All of us, if we read the scriptures, all of us have responsibility for making an investment and having an influence in the next generation. Does that make sense? So we said, well, Paul, what are we, what are we passing on? What are, what are we paying forward? Well, this is just for starters. We're passing on content, the truths of the Christian faith. We need to help the next generation understand the, the teachings of scriptures about God and about Jesus and about sin and salvation and about the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts and the priority of serving others. All these foundational truths of our faith, our children need our help to understand them, but it's not just content. We need to model for them a character 
of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, the virtues of being a Christ follower, like humility and compassion and honesty. We need to model that for the next generation so that they understand what Jesus looks like in a life. We have to pass on compassion. It's the central truth of Jesus, to love your neighbor, to love your enemies, to love those who make life difficult for you. It's the call of a disciple is to learn to love. Where are our kids gonna learn that? Other from you and from me, from us as their church family. And then finally, I think this is incredibly important these days. We need to model and show our children what it is to live with courage as followers of Jesus. The confidence to be an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven on this earth. And I just want to make you aware that this month we're offering several helpful resources for you as parents, you who, you who wish to be mentors, all of us who hope to make an investment in our next generation out at our uh, guest center out at Information Central and online at our website. We got a couple of books that we're just offering for you to read. We've got some podcasts that you could listen to. We have some other experiences that we'd love to just make available to you as, as all of us as a church family get a bit smarter about how we, we as a village go about investing in the lives of our kids. Okay. You guys doing all right? Coffee, donuts, can I get anybody anything? I, got, I actually got a few minutes left. I love it when a plan comes together. So I wanna, I wanna talk to you about something. And it's kind of risky, to be honest. Because it seems these days that for me to talk about what I'm about to talk about, some people will interpret it as being alarmist. Some people might perceive it as sort of, you know, Paul's just the prophet of doom. I've noticed today that anytime somebody takes more of a conservative perspective on the progressive narrative of our day, they're generally labeled as a conspiracy theorist. That's the risk about what I'm gonna share with you. But I have to tell you what's on my heart. Will you give me a few minutes? I love this quote by Ronald Reagan. It's not about our topic, but it is about our topic. Ronald Reagan said, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom that we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-fought lessons of how they, in their lifetime, must do the same. And if you do and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like in America when men were free. Isn't that good? But don't miss the spiritual parallel 
and what we can learn from it, not as a nation, but as a church. If you have your Bible, um, whether on your phone or if you have your Bible with you, just for grins, turn with me to the book of Judges because when do we ever turn to the book of Judges? We're almost always turned into New Testament passages. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Judges, chapter two. I mean, listen to this. Listen to this. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, that means they died. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. You see, one generation in the nation of Israel failed to pay it forward, to teach their children and their children's children the essence of what it meant to be the people of God. And once they passed off the scene, an entire generation existed and they didn't know God and they didn't know his word and they didn't know his life. And if you know anything about your Old Testament, you know that the nation of Israel as a whole suffered during that generation who didn't know God. So at the risk of being perceived as an alarmist, at the risk of sounding like the prophet of doom or or being labeled a conspiracy theorist, I wanna tell you this. I'm a student of culture and society. I don't know why that's fascinated me most all of my life. I'm intrigued with what's going on in my world, particularly in the United States where I live and where I serve as a pastor, because here's the deal. What I'm most interested in is morality and ethics as it relates to culture because culture has an enormous influence on our lives and on the lives of our children. And so I'm interested in what is culture and what is society teaching us by way of morality and ethics because we as Christians, we have a responsibility of living faithful in obedience to God even when it may be contrary and unpopular to our culture and to our society. So I'm interested in our culture and in our society and I'm concerned about something that I'm seeing more and more evidence of. I'm seeing it growing. I'm seeing it ramping up and increasing. I'm seeing that Christians are being pushed further and further out of the social conscience. We used to live at a time where Christians, they were always, you know, sort of like the moral police with their, you know, ancient beliefs about the Bible and Jesus and God. And, and for the most part, in history past, Christians were just seen as sort of a, you know, an annoyance. Oh, here comes the Christians with all their virtue and all their, you know, Jesus talk. But you know what? That's shifting. Now Christians are not just an annoyance, Christians are becoming perceived as the problem. That in order for a society to make its progress, a progressive society, we gotta get rid of the Christians because they just stamp on everything. 
So a lot of what Christians talk about these days in relationship to an understanding of God is often perceived as hate speech. So we're watching a society and a culture push Christians out of the conversation as a part of the problem. And Christians are becoming more and more bullied into silence. Christians are afraid of being labeled. Christians are afraid of somehow um, triggering somebody's response in a touchy society. Christians, Christians are afraid of losing a job. are being called names. And so what I'm watching is the Christian community grow more and more quiet, more and more careful about speaking up regarding the truth in relationship to morality and ethics in our society. And what makes that so sad is we get more and more silence. Christians are becoming more and more like the world that they live in because it's just easier. And you know what the grave danger of that is? Is the loss of influence that we have in the lives of the next generation. Here's what I'm watching being sacrificed as the church steps further and further into the shadows and grows more and more quiet. We're watching that the reverent respect for the holiness of God is being lost. We're looking for a God who just loves everybody with however they want to live. We're watching, we're watching a thorough knowledge of the scriptures start to disappear that kids don't even know what's in their Bibles as we replace solid teaching of the scriptures with all sorts of entertainment. A deep devotion to following Jesus is being lost. I'm talking about a deep heartfelt, sincere devotion to Jesus in his ways and a sincere compassion for the lost is being lost. And my concern is that as we lose it, we are not paying it forward to the generation who's looking at us, watching us, wanting us to show them how do I live for Jesus and make a stand for him in my world? Because here's the truth. If we don't, they won't. So folks, I can't tell you how sincere I am right now looking at you as our church family and I'm gonna ask you the question. Will we allow the next generation to be lost on our watch? Thank you. I don't think we want that. So I wanna spend the next three Sundays talking about and exploring from the scriptures how we as the village make the kind of investment in the next generation of young people at this church through mentoring and modeling the life of Jesus for them to understand and to own so that when old guys like me, we get collected with our fathers, there's a strong and vibrant generation of young people at Cibolo Creek who will be our future, our legacy. It takes all of us to do that.
I hope, I pray that you'll join me in that. If you're expecting something really profound right now, I I don't have it. (laughs) Here's the profound thing I'm going to say. Guess what? Oh, my God. Guess what? In celebration of the Sunday when all of our kids are moving up to their next classroom, we're going to eat. We're going to have hot dogs after the service. All of you are invited to join us. And here's what I'm doing. Now, I'm serious. Like, listen to me. You could run off. I don't like hot dogs. <laughs> We're going to go out for Mexican food. I, I get it. You don't have to eat a hot dog. But hang around. Guess why? Because our kids will be out there. Yay. Like meet one. Introduce yourself. Because in a couple of weeks in this series, I'm going to ask you to start praying for a kid. Just meet one. Don't be weird. <laughs> Introduce yourself to their parents first and say, hey, is this your son? Is this your daughter? I don't think I know you. And you say, well, they're not my kid. That's right. They're not your kid. They're your kid because we're a village. So don't run off. Just take a few minutes and hang around because there's going to be students and children who are going to be there. I'd love for them to see the village that they're being raised in. Let's stand together. If you're new to Cibolo Creek, I'd love the opportunity to meet you. I'll be over here in the corner of the auditorium following the service. Just come up. Let me know your name. Love to shake your hand, find out a little bit about you. And then you can go out and have a hot dog. (laughs) God, thank you for hot dogs. Ketchup and mustard. But God, thank you even more for the legacy of children that you've invested in our lives, that you've made available to us. And we have a privilege and an honor to influence them toward the things that are special and dear to your heart. God, I can only pastor one church. It's this one. And I pray that this church will be amazing at the investment they make in the next generation of young people who hang around at Cibola Creek Community Church. God, I pray this will be an amazing month. Some really exciting things will unfold in our midst. Thank you, Father, for the stewardship of the children that you've entrusted to our care. May you find us faithful with them. May they thrive and prosper on our watch. I pray and ask in Christ's name, amen. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next Sunday.